On this week's episode of I Believe Now What, we are going to be talking about speaking in tongues. Now, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've probably come across or maybe heard about or even read inside your Bible the phrase speaking in tongues. What is it? What does this mean? This is exactly what we're going to go over today. We're going to go over what the Bible says about it and then talk about how different denominations view this topic of speaking in tongues. Without any further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? Welcome back to another episode of I Believe Now What? I hope everybody is having a wonderful day out there. As you heard from the intro, we're going to be talking about speaking in tongues. So number one, what I want to say is this is a very sensitive uh, topic for many people. There's many different views on this. And sometimes these views, some people will take to an extreme when debating or talking about this. Number two, this episode was made because recently I was invited to the Under the Cloud podcast. I've mentioned it a few times on this podcast before, but the Under the Cloud podcast is run by a good buddy of mine, Jonathan Lunsford, and he asked me to come on and talk about speaking in tones amongst three other people. Now, the reason why he wanted me there was because he wanted a more reformed or cessationist point of view on the gift of speaking in tongues because he had three other people there, or actually two other people there besides himself. Uh, All of them believed in speaking in tongues. They all probably had slightly different views on it, and he didn't want it to be a giant echo chamber and wanted to bring in somebody from an outside perspective who does not operate in that gift and has different views than pretty much everyone else there had on that gift. And I was very humbled to be asked to be a part of that. Because once again, like I said, I know this is a very sensitive topic for many people, and I know it's a sensitive topic, uh, especially in regards to certain denominations and how they view this. So first off, I use the word cessationist, and I'm not sure if you're new to this podcast or maybe you're just coming on to this episode, so I want to define what that is. Essentially, a cessationist is someone who believes that the spiritual gifts, the miraculous signs and wonders that you see in the book of Acts, I'm talking about Peter. Uh, telling people to get up and walk, Paul healing people with his shadow, the gift of speaking in tongues is wrapped up in this as well. All these different signs and wonders, miraculous gifts that you see done by the early church throughout the book of Acts are no longer in operation today. Now, I actually define a little bit more in detail what I mean on Jonathan Lunsford's podcast. And by all means, after you listen to this, I highly suggest you go over there and listen, even if you do not believe in speaking in tongues, because it's a good iron sharpens iron conversation. And that was what I was so happy about with that episode. Uh, One of the people on there was a pastor at a local church uh, from the area that I live in. And he was actually very uh, cautious to even doing the episode because he didn't want it to turn into an argument. Because let's face it, when you put different people who believe different things on different theological topics, an argument could break out. But it was the exact opposite. It was an amazing iron sharpens iron. No one was sitting there pointing, you are wrong, you are wrong, or doing something crazy like that. And while my more reformed and cessationist uh, brethren uh, that, that are more theologically aligned with me might get mad at the fact that I wasn't trying to attack them left and right. At the end of the day, I do not believe tongues is a salvific issue or a salvation issue. If you claim to believe in speaking in tongues and you say you operate inside that gift, then I don't believe that you are not saved. 
Uh, nor did any of them believe because I didn't speak in tongues that I wasn't saved. And yes, there are denominations out there that do believe if you do not speak in tongues, then that means you do not have the Holy Spirit. Now, there's different nuances that get go with that, and I'm not going to get super, super deep into that part today because uh, I'm probably not a good enough authority to talk about certain denominations that I have never attended. But when it comes to the gift of tongues, and I just want to give you my little background on it before we start diving in. So, number one, I first encountered the hearing about the gift of tongues when I was oh, roughly around 21 years old. Uh, I was talking to this girl that I met through a dating app, and she, we, we were talking about Christianity and just, you know, oh, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, and that's cool. And then she would mentioned how she speaks in tongues, and I had no idea what that was. So what did I do? Because I was a, if you know anything about my testimony, when I was 21 years old, I was probably not a Christian. I was the epitome of what Titus says, you profess Christ with your mouth, but you deny him by our everyday actions. And that's essentially what I was. So instead of researching in my Bible, what I did was I called my father. My father was a trained pastor. He was an associate pastor at a church for a while. He knew his Bible. He went to school for it. So I wanted to call him up. So I called him and I asked him, hey, dad, what, what is this, this speaking in tongues thing? So he gave me pretty much the, an explanation of it, gave me his history of what he's ever had to deal with it. And essentially I said, oh, okay, I don't, I don't believe that. And I kind of just stopped talking to that girl. And I did not encounter tongues again until a few years later. Now I'm married. Uh, I, I, God is pulling me. He is drawing me at this point in time. I don't think I was fully there yet and fully on board and committed, but I was definitely going into the right direction. And we were trying to find a church in Oklahoma when I got stationed there. If you didn't know, I'm in the Army. And we got stationed in Oklahoma, so I went to this church, and it was called, the denomination is a Pentecostal denomination. Uh, and immediately, uh, we were sitting in a service, and the, the pastor was going on and on and on about tithing, which if you already know me, I am uh, have I, my view on tithing is that it was an Old Testament thing. That's a thing for another episode. <laughs> but anyways, uh, continuing on, he was going on and on and on about tithing, and then all of a sudden just started breaking out and, and speaking this gibberish, and, and please, uh, for you tongue speakers out there, do not get offended when I say this, I'm putting it in my words to where I was then. So I hear him just start sp just speaking this gibberish, uh, and I had no idea what was going on, and I'm like, okay, so my wife and I looked at each other, we ended up sitting through the rest of the service, and then we walked out and we we're like, well, okay, we're never going back to that church again. And that's when I put two and two together and realized, oh, this is what my dad was talking about that one time. So my wife and I pretty much left it at that, and we moved to a couple other times, years and years and years go down the road, never encountered it ever again after that, until about three years ago, um, my wife and I got stationed down at Fort Polk, Louisiana, and if you know anything about the South, the charismatic or quote-unquote spirit-filled church is a very big thing down here compared to the rest of the country. And we were trying to find a different church. We tried out about three or four churches before we settled in on one specific church that we ended up enjoying. It was a non-denominational church, uh, and everything was cool about it. About two or three months end up going by, and we really decided, okay, at this point, this is the church that we want to go to. 
And as we started immersing ourselves more and more inside that church, we started noticing here and there, you know, we were changing seats around and stuff that that people were pretty much praying uh, in tongues. And uh, at some points during praise and worship, some people would get up and they just start speaking in tongues. And I was like, oh boy, because uh, at this point in my life, I had researched the topic and I personally had no agreeance with what I saw being practiced. Now, instead of what many people would do and just up and leaving that church, I ended up deciding to stay there. And I stayed there for about uh, two years. Uh, and, and I ended up leaving recently. No ill will towards that church whatsoever. Um, the reason why I left was because I am currently right now, before we move, helping a smaller Baptist church kind of get their get up, get their feet off the ground, essentially. They've, they've been around for a while. I think they're the, actually the oldest church in the town, but they had a, a tree during Hurricane Laura rip through the roof of that church. They don't have a pastor, uh, and they have been blessing me by letting me go there and preach every Sunday. And uh, in that, they are also allowing me to pretty much help them out and in any way, shape, or form that I can possibly do. So we really wanted to dedicate our time to that. But essentially, my wife and I decided to stick it out in this more charismatic style church. Number one, because we love the people there. All right, the people there, although our theology was much different, we saw the heart of Christ, uh, the heart that these people had for Christ inside this church. That's number one. And number two, we really wanted to, I don't know if this sounds right or come off, but pretty much offer a different perspective that maybe people have never seen before. That's one of the benefits of me being in the military is that I've been around. I've seen different churches. I've seen how different services operate uh, and how different denominations operate, so forth and so on. And maybe some of these people uh, that have lived here their entire life and never got out to different parts of the country, maybe we can offer a different perspective. And I hope that doesn't come off as rude. I do not mean that as rude whatsoever. Trust me, if I had it my way and I wasn't in the military, I would plant my root somewhere and stay there. So there is nothing wrong with that whatsoever. So essentially, like I said, we decided to stay in that church. And while we were staying there, uh, it was becoming more and more apparent they were getting actually more and more charismatic over time. And throughout this whole two, two and a half year period that we stayed there, I really entrenched myself in, in reading up on the gift of tongues, studying it deeply, making friends with people, having amazing conversations about this uh, gift and what it is, and is it still in operation today, and just real iron sharpens iron conversations that never really turned into an argument. And it was wonderful. It was totally wonderful. And now I feel I am in a very solid place where I can effectively talk about this. Number one, why? Because instead of just me being an outsider perspective and saying absolutely anything about that, now I can say I've been in a church that operates this way, and I've seen it firsthand instead of just watching the YouTube clips, which can be very, very dangerous when you're studying this stuff. Because when you're watching the YouTube clips and all these things, while they can be educational, what can happen sometimes is things get taken extremely out of context. Now, obviously, you need to exercise discernment, and what I want to say, and I wanted to say it in the beginning, and I didn't, but I'm going to say it now, is if everything that we go over today, every time we pull up scripture, I highly encourage you to read this for yourself. 
I can't go over every single scripture in super depth in one episode on the gift of tongues. You need to go in there and read it for yourself. Now, I'm going to give scripture references for everything essentially that I'm saying and going over because this is really going to be a dive into scripture and what it says. But at the same time, you need to look that up for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. So a few key topics before we really start diving into scripture. Number one, my overall goal in this, like I said, is for you to get into scripture and read this for yourself. Number two, I truly, with all my heart and conviction, believe that this is not a salvation issue. I said that earlier. There are denominations that believe if you do not speak in tongues, that you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I don't agree with that. So we're going to go ahead and essentially establish that right now. This is not a salvation issue. I consider this debate, if you even want to call it that, of whether speaking in tongues is for today or whether the speaking in tongues you see in church is the same type that uh, the Bible is talking about, all that stuff. This is an in-house debate. This is not a salvific salvation issue. And lastly, number three, because we're already hitting a lot of time and we haven't even got into the scriptures yet, I might split this up in the two episodes, which obviously is going to be transparent to you because uh, you're listening to it. So if I don't get through everything, I will hit it up in the one next week. But that's my goal because I I mean, let's face it, who wants to sit here and listen to me talk for two hours straight? I, I mean, you know, I... I I probably wouldn't want to listen to me talk for two hours straight. But anyways, continuing on. So first off, I want to say that I personally believe that the signs and wonders, miracles that you see in the book of Acts that we talked about earlier, for the most part, and this is where I maybe get a little different from other cessationists, but for the most part, have stopped. Now, the reason why I say for the most part, I believe that these signs and wonders gifts were used for establishing the gospel. And once the gospel was pretty much laid, the, the, the fire was lit, that there was no way that fire was going to go out from there and on, and those gifts and signs were no longer needed. Now, number one, I want to say this does not mean that I don't believe God can't work miracles anymore, or he doesn't. I truly believe God still works miracles all the time. And if he chooses to do so, he could do the miracles through a person like you saw in the book of Acts. But I want to say primarily that was used for establishing the gospel. So in a Western society such as the United States, where we have a Bible in every hotel room, you have a, almost everybody now has a smartphone. You can download a Bible app. You can get a Bible for free. There's a church around almost every corner, well, depending on where you're at in the United States, but there's easy access to the church. There's online resources, all these things. The gospel is well-established in the United States, and whether somebody picks that up and believes or somebody is out there preaching to them, all these other things, that's going to be on that person. The gospel is established, at least in this Western world. Now, I do admit that there are places around the world where the gospel has not reached. And what I believe is that if we were going to see some of these signs, wonders, and miracles, and all this stuff, that it would be more apt to happen in these different countries that do not have the gospel, as opposed to Western America that has every technology and Bibles and all these other, you know, amazing tools and resources all over the place. 
Now, I realize I said a lot of heavy stuff in there, and it needs to be backed up in Scripture. And that's exactly what I want to do now. I want to show why I believe cessationism, or at least borderline cessationism, or as I call it, open but cautious, is a a, a very real and biblical thing. And I want to use that by showing you in the Bible. So essentially, when we look at the Bible, and this is me making the case right now, all right? So when we look at the Bible, and I talked about this a little bit on that episode on Under the Cloud that I did over speaking in tongues. So when we look at the Bible, we notice that the last recorded miracle happened around 58 AD. All right, 58 AD, roughly about 20, almost 30 years after Christ's death, burial, resurrection. We know this because scholars are pretty good at dating what events happened in the Bible. There's a pretty good timeline, and most scholars reputable on both sides of this issue will agree that this event happened around 58 AD. This event was Paul when he was back on the island of Malta, and essentially the last miracle that he performed was healing this kind of like a village chief. He was the chief on the island, something of that nature. Well, you know what? Instead of me just talking about it and paraphrasing it, let's go to it. That's going to be found in the book of Acts in chapter 28, verses 7 through 10. That's the book of Acts, chapter 28, verses 7 through 10. Starting at verse 7, and I'm sorry, I am going to chop and screw some of these names up because these are very uncommon names, but it starts at verse 7. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of that island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and prayed, and he laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Okay, so once again, this is estimated by scholars to be around 58 AD, and that would make it the last recorded, and I want to be very clear on that, recorded, because yes, I do admit things could have happened that were not recorded down in Scripture, but this was the last recorded signs and wonders miracle in the Bible. So the question then gets begged to be asked, well, Tim, how do you know that? Well, like I said, we are very confident, and I say we, I'm talking about the scholarly community of the Bible, people who have dedicated their lives to figuring out these timelines, are very confident in where they place the dates and the time frames of when all these key events happened. And we don't see anything written after 58 AD of any signs and wonders miracle. We have multiple cases of people being sick that the Apostle Paul was writing about, and they did not get healed. Uh, Specifically, we have the Apostle Paul himself, who was struck with illnesses and was not healed from them. He couldn't heal himself or anything of that nature. Uh, like I said, this is an offshoot. Never trust a faith healer who wears glasses, by the way, people. That's a that's a fact. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. I don't want to lose too much of the audience here, but little joke. I'm not I'm not the best joke teller in the world if you never knew that. But anyways, uh, we, we see cases, like I'm saying, of people who are sick inside the Bible and did not get healed after this last 58 AD miracle. Essentially, what I'm trying to say here is you are seeing the signs and wonders gifts starting to fade away, or maybe at one point it just straight up stopped. The reason why 
is because, and, and I need to back this up in scripture. I can't just say that without backing it up. We go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, where Paul had to leave a guy named Trophimus behind on his journey because he was sick. The question then gets begged to be asked, why didn't he just heal him so he can, he can continue on the journey? Or you can go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 27, where Paul wanted to send Epaphroditus to this church, but he couldn't because he was so sick, sick to the point of death. And additionally, you also see in 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to drink a little bit of wine because he has some stomach issues. All these events happened after the last 58 AD miracle. All these letters that Paul wrote were after 58 AD. Like I said, the question gets asked, why didn't Paul just heal him? This is the same person who was raising people from the dead, healing people with his shadow, so forth and so on. Why couldn't he fix these little issues? Number one, I want to say why, because like I said, I truly believe the gifts were either fading away or stopped by this point because the gospel was being established. That fire got lit. And once that fire got lit, that thing was going to spread no matter what happened. I mean, and we actually do see that Christianity was catching on fire at that point, especially when you look at the historical accounts throughout the entire Roman Empire, Christianity was spreading. Now, I do want to present another reason on the cessationist side. Now, this one steps outside of scripture, so it doesn't hold as much accountability, but I call this the common sense side, all right? Or when I say accountability, this doesn't hold as much authority because, once again, like I'm saying, I'm not really backing this up with scripture. I'm just using common sense. So when you look at the world around us today, you would figure if we had these faith healers among us, these people with these miraculous signs and wonders gifts, that you would see it in operation all the time. You would think that people would be going into hospitals, healing the sick, that you would see people that were blind and all of a sudden now they see, and maybe these things are happening and I'm just not paying attention or it's not popping up in the news and I'm being ignorant to that fact, or these people who are claiming to have these powers, because there are people out there who claim to have this, don't really have the powers that they say. We see this all the time. You can look at amazing stories from people like Johnny Erickson Tata, this amazing woman who was injured and became a paraplegic, and she went to faith healer after faith healer after faith healer, and nothing happened. People like Justin Peters, who was told, you know, by a prophetic message that he was going to walk one day. And then so he started seeking out all these different faith healers. And in the end, he found out all they really wanted was money. You see all these fakers. And if there is anything that's real out there, because like I said, I never want to say that nothing is impossible with God. But if they really are out there, then all these fakers are really giving them a bad name. But like I said, with the internet, with YouTube, with the news and all this stuff, you figure you would see this at some point in time, but we don't. In fact, if you ever get the chance, I highly encourage you to look up a person named Kosti Hinn if you have never heard of him. This was Benny Hinn's nephew. If you don't know who Benny Hinn was, he is a man who is known for his faith healing crusades and he would go around and he would whip off his jacket and you'd see people being quote unquote slain in the spirit when he would whip him around. He'd push him on stage and all this. There's a lot of memes that get made out of it and all this stuff. Well, essentially, his nephew, Costi, uh, was in this mix. He was all over it and he was all inside of it. 
And he got out of that and actually left that and came to a, a different belief, a more reformed theological belief. And he pretty much exposed all the different stuff that was going on. Now, I will say he truly believed what they were doing was God's work. They weren't out there purposely like saying, oh, yeah, 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 this is fake. This is all 100% fake. He's doing it for the money and all this stuff. He Costi truly believed what his uncle was doing was true. But when he started noticing these little signs, like, why aren't we healing the people in wheelchairs that come to this event? Why aren't we healing these people or these people or these people, uh, these people with these tangible illnesses and disabilities that would be very obvious if, if, if you saw this on TV, it would be very obvious that this stuff would happen. But he started noticing that. And I'm not going to go into his entire testimony. You can listen to that for yourself. He has a podcast called For the Gospel Podcast. I highly encourage you to go on there and listen to his story and his podcast. It is very solid. And I mean, even if you are a believer in continuationism and you've still made it this far, I highly encourage you, iron sharpens iron. Do what I did. I immersed myself in a charismatic church for two and a half years just to make sure that I truly, what I truly believe about the Bible is what I believe about the Bible. We need to iron sharpens iron over this. We can't just sit there and say absolutely not uh, over something that's a non-salvation issue like this. Now, finally, with all of that being said, let's start talking about that main issue of speaking in tongues. The reason why I think this is important, especially for this podcast specifically, is because you as a Christian, just like in my story, may encounter this at some point in time if you've never heard of it. Or maybe you are a Christian who operates this way, who believes in speaking in tongues or believes in praying in tongues because we're going to get into that. Don't worry. Uh, And you just want a different point of view to make sure you believe uh, what you believe actually is correct. Okay, so let's start diving into more scripture. All right, so specifically on the gift of tongues, it's really not that hard because it's only mentioned in seven chapters of the Bible. There is one Old Testament passage, so you could say technically eight, but that was not referring to the gift of speaking in tongues. Instead, it was referring to different nations that were going to come in and pretty much oppress Israel. So for context sake, we'll go ahead and leave that one out. But like I said, seven chapters, all found in the New Testament. The very first one is going to be found in Mark chapter 16, verse 17. Now, I'm not specifically going to go over this one, and there is a reason behind that. Now, this gets into a whole other episode, and I've talked about it on here before. If you did not know, starting at or pretty much ending at Mark chapter 16, verse 9, everything from there on out you may notice inside your Bible is bracketed. All right, so what does that mean? Essentially, it's saying that there are manuscripts, older manuscripts out there. Some will call them better manuscripts, depending on which translation you are reading from, uh, that do not include these verses. What is commonly believed is that these verses from verse 9, or ending at verse 9, so pretty much verse 10 on through the rest of Mark 16, were added in later. Now, most people believe that this was not added in for malicious intent. It could have been commentary made by somebody. But essentially, everything that's talked about in there is addressed later on in scriptures or has already been addressed prior. So it was nothing shocking or crazy. But I do, I I hold a personal belief that those bracketed verses, so I don't make the mistake on anything, I don't particularly pull any hard doctrine from them and cite them when I'm going over something. 
So for that sake, I'm going to go ahead and leave that out. If you want to learn more about Mark 16 and the controversy surrounding that, I highly encourage you to look up this man named Mike Wiener. You could just type in in YouTube, Mike Wiener, Mark 16, and he has two videos, hours and hours long, going over this and really doing some good apologetic work in there and, and digging through all the facts to, to, to pretty much talk about that from a neutral standpoint. So once again, if you want to learn more about that, Mike Winger, and just Google him up on YouTube and type in Mark 16 right up there uh, next to his name. So the first scripture that we're going to really be examining is going to be in Acts chapter 2. For context, this is the day of Pentecost. This is the day where about, if you don't know what Pentecost is, this is the day that about 120 followers of Jesus uh, including the apostles, were gathered together in one place, and they received the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you so you get it in context. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 reads like this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now I'm going to break right there. So the word tongues here that they're using in the Greek actually means languages or dialects, I guess, in a way. Um, essentially, it means languages. And I, and I almost wish they used the word language. If you've ever read Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, he talks about this. He, Wayne Grudem is a very good and knowledgeable a seminary professor who actually does believe in speaking in tongues, and he really makes a strong point on why he believes he wished the, the, the original writers just would have used the word languages so that way it didn't mystify tongues and make it sound like some weird thing. Because, you know, languages, that sounds pretty normal, especially in our vocabulary today. But tongues, unless you grew up in it, it sounds a little weird. Uh, but anyways, it's already been established that Pretty much tons is going to be the common phrase, so we're going to continue using tons from here on out. But continuing on. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under the heaven. And when this sound occurred, uh, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Or in other words, he's saying, Aren't these all men from Galilee? And then continues on saying, And how is it that we hear each one of them in our own language to which we were born? All right, now breaking away from the verse here, essentially what we are seeing is that the gift of the Holy Spirit has now come onto these people and it gave them the ability to speak in a language that they were not born with. That's why when they went outside and they started speaking and that person was like, aren't, aren't all these dudes from Galilee? Like, how, how are they speaking our language? Because I guess learning multiple languages maybe wasn't as common then. I don't know. I'm not a historian that, that, that dug too much deep into those facts. But essentially, these dudes were amazed that these guys were speaking their languages, that these people were out there just talking. And I can imagine, I bet it was so perfectly clear. They were probably picking up on the accents and everything. It didn't sound broken. It probably sounded crystal clear to them. But essentially, these people were speaking real world languages. And actually, if you go in verses 9 and 11, they named the languages that they were speaking. Uh, the way they worded is kind of tricky, but all around it was about 16 different languages. Pretty amazing. 
So the facts that we can pull from this is number one, the tongues, the gift of tongues that they received came from the Holy Spirit. It distributed according to the will of God. And number two, they were speaking real world languages. All right. So let's get into our next passage. And this is going to be found in Acts chapter 10. To put this one in context, this is Peter, the apostle Peter. He received a vision and a message to go into a man's house. His man was named Cornelius. This man was a Gentile. In other words, if you don't know what that is, that is somebody who is not Jewish. And if you know anything about Jews and reading throughout the Bible, especially the gospel accounts, Jews and Gentiles uh, didn't get along so much in the fact that Jews really thought lowly of Gentiles. Uh, and so much to the point that they would refuse to even enter their house. So this was a pretty big deal to the Jewish Christians uh, because they were going to be the very first example, Cornelius and his family, this is going to be the very first example that Gentiles were also able to receive the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 10 verse 44 is where we're going to start. Acts chapter 10 verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit then fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And the circumcised, in other words, Jewish believers who came with Peter were all amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have ever received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And then he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and then asked him to stay on for a few days. Okay, so essentially what we saw here, like I said in the beginning, Peter went to a Gentile's house. Uh, he brought Jewish believers, believers who are Christians, with him. Peter was giving him the gospel message. All of a sudden, Cornelius and his household had a change of heart. The Holy Spirit fell on them. They began speaking in tongues and praising God. And this was a sign uh, to these Jewish believers that the Gentiles were also able to receive the Holy Spirit. Because at that time, it's assumed that only the Jews thought that they were the ones who can get the Holy Spirit and be saved. All right, moving on to our next example, all right? And if you haven't noticed, I am just giving you the scriptures and the basic facts that go along with them. Because like I said, I want you to examine this for yourself. I don't want to insert my own opinion, at least not yet, until we get close to the end. And I feel like I did that in the beginning pretty well too. So, <laughs> but anyways, our next example, Acts chapter 19. The setting for this is the Apostle Paul is on a missionary journey and he comes to Ephesus where he ended up encountering some Jews who were baptized by John the Baptist. If you don't know where Ephesus is, that's modern day Turkey. That was also the church that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to, Ephesus, all right? That's modern day Turkey today. So anyways, he comes across these people who had been baptized by John the Baptist. And if you didn't know, John the Baptist was baptizing people not uh, in the same type of baptism that we do today, but it was a baptism of repentance in anticipation for the coming of Jesus. So anyways, as Paul started talking to them about the Holy Spirit, these men were like, what, holy, holy what? Holy Spirit? You know, what, what is that? I don't, I don't know what that is. Well, this is what... This is when Paul started putting two and two together and realized that they did not hear the full gospel yet. And we're going to go ahead and pick up on verse 1 to see what happens here. Uh, starting at verse 1, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. 
and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we, we haven't even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what uh, baptism then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized in the uh, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about twelve men. Okay, that's the end. So that's the next example we see of speaking in tongues. They heard the message. They heard the gospel message. They believed. They were baptized. They got the Holy Spirit. Now, I do want to add a little side note in here. So depending on which denomination you are from, this is very key compared to the last story we just read. So in the last story, what happened was Cornelius heard the message, heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And then he began speaking in tongues and then got baptized afterwards. In this passage, Paul preached to them, uh, heard the gospel message. They said they believed, they were baptized, and then the Holy Spirit fell upon him in speaking in tongues. This is very key because there are some denominations out there that will tell you that you cannot speak in tongues unless you have been baptized already, or they will also tell you that you cannot be saved uh, unless you have been baptized, which is ultimately not true and we can back that up in more scripture that's another episode to go over but i always love bringing up that verse about cornelius well what do you say about cornelius he got the holy spirit before he was baptized uh so you're going to say he wasn't saved and sadly in those conversations i've had with them they say you can get the holy spirit without being baptized and i'm like or without being saved and i was like "Mm, i don't know if that's scripturally supported but okay anyways continuing on and hopefully, if you believe in that, I hope I probably just scared you off. And I'm not trying to do that. I just want you to examine things like I've been saying this entire time. Okay, so the next series of passages that we're going to go over on tongues can be found in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through chapters 14. Uh, and this turns from the examples of tongues uh, into pretty much Paul talking about the gift of tongues and spiritual gifts as a whole. He's pretty much setting regulations and pretty much prioritizing where these different spiritual gifts rank and what's important and all this kind of stuff. And this is where you can really get the most learning about the gift of tongues and about speaking in tongues and what it truly is. Once again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Now, mind you, All of these passages were written before 58 AD. Everything that we have read so far and everything that we were going to read, I want to reiterate that, was written before 58 AD, which, as we said, was the last recorded sign and wonder miracle in the Bible. Not only that, but Paul was giving correction to the church in Corinth in chapters 12 through 14. He wasn't trying to tell them uh, all these amazing things or whatever. Instead, he was giving them correction. Like, look, look, dudes, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, (laughs) but like, look, dudes, you're using all these signs and wonders, gifts and all this stuff, specifically talking about tongues, uh, but you're you're doing it all wrong. You're going out of all, all wrong. Let me go ahead and give you some regulations on how to properly follow this. And that's essentially what it is. So with all that being said, I'm looking at the time right now. We're going to go ahead and stop it there because, like I said, 
1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 is where we get the most learning about tongues, at least in my opinion. Uh, we transition over from the examples that we see in the book of Acts to actual Paul giving out guidance and regulation, like I said, on how to actually use and operate inside that gift. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and cut it for now, and we're going to leave it there and pick up back on that next week. Now, if you've stuck it out this far and you do not believe in tongues, number one, I commend you. Thank you. Or I'm sorry, if you've stuck it out this far, oh, excuse me, <laughs> but if you've stuck it out this far and you believe in the gift of tongues and you operate in that gift of tongues today, uh, and you believe what you're doing is the exact same thing in scripture, I, I truly commend you for sticking it out this far. I know from my perspective, it is very hard to sit and listen to someone trying to convince you that what you believe is not correct. It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, and like I said, I that's why I went through what I wanted to, what I went... <sighs> I'm trying to find my words here. That is why I went through what I went through at the church I was just at for the last two and a half years, sitting, learning, having to go over all these different doctrines that I have disagreements about, but I did it all for the sake of making sure that what I believe about the Bible is correct. And so once again, like I said, if you believe in the gift of tongues and you personally feel that you operate in tongues, whether it be prayer tongues, which we're going to get to in the next episode, or evangelistic tongues, or maybe even prophetic tongues, uh, don't worry. Like I said, we're going to hit up all those different things if you don't know what those are. Uh, but if you feel like you operate in those and you stuck it out this long, I just want to say thank you. Uh, and I pray that I am being very charitable with how I am presenting this. So with all that being said, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Thank you for sticking it out this far. I know this was a little bit of a longer episode, and the next episode will probably be just as long, if not longer. I'm going to really try to wrap this up in two episodes, but this is a lot to talk about because, like I said, this is a very controversial issue in the church today, and many people from different denominations will not associate with other people who either A, practice it, or B, don't practice it, depending on which denomination you're from, and I think that's wrong. I think that's absolutely wrong. We need to have unity. As long as it is not a salvation issue, if you believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to heaven is through him and believing in him, and that we are saved by grace through faith, it's not of ourselves, it's not of works, period, then you know we should be able to have these types of conversations and not get angry with each other and never talk to each other. All right, a little side rant over going to go ahead and wrap it up and end it here. Thank you all for listening and stay tuned for next week. We are going to be back with part two as we dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. 